Hi, Lisa. Hey, Julie. How's it going? Great. How about you? Great. I think we should explain to our listeners what we're doing right now while we're recording. Go ahead. We are driving home or back to drop you off at the Metro from the glass enclosed nerve center of WTOP radio here in Washington, DC. They just moved their studio from one side of the DC line, the DC side to the Chevy Chase, Maryland side. And we got to visit their beautiful new studio and talk about Heart Health Month and how running can play a role in improving heart health. Yes. So for those of you who may not catch the segments on WTOP when they're played on Friday, we're both really passionate about heart health and it's the leading cause of death in our country. So it's really important to figure out ways to to fix that. And fortunately, heart disease is something that generally we can do something about. And one way to do to help improve our cardiovascular health is through change in lifestyle. So in addition to the obvious, quitting smoking and eating right, um, there's also a lot of studies that show that just exercising, aerobic exercise can improve heart health. So we were really happy to go on WTOP today and explain how to start running and how to stay motivated because hopefully there's a couple of listeners out there that maybe, just maybe, they'll be a little inspired to get started in the winter and start improving their heart health. Yeah, and we, running is such an accessible, an easy way to get your cardiovascular fitness. So all you need is a good pair of running shoes, proper running gear depending on the weather but you can just go outside your door you don't have to belong to a gym you don't have to sign up for classes you don't have to make an appointment you can just go out your door and run so accessible easy and you can start at your own pace so even beginners can start with yeah intervals totally and as a bonus like lisa mentioned it was so cool to see their new glass enclosed nerve center it's really nice. I just have to tell you a funny story. My yeah. kids have always thought, we always have WTOP on in the car, and my kids have always thought it was a glass enclosed Nerf center. <laughs> that is what they did. They said, oh, Nerf center. We always thought it was Nerf, and I think they imagined people with Nerf guns in the Nerf center, I think. The glass enclosed Nerf center, and that's because you can't use anything heavy. You need Nerf bullets in the glass enclosed Nerf that's center. Super cute. So we love WTOP. We got to see our friend Rachel. We got to see our friend Tom. Um, it's a really great group of people, and what a what a it was a fun time. It was fun. I'm really glad we had a chance to do it. So we're driving home, and we thought, why not have our conversation this week in the car? So here we are. So multitasking. Lisa, yes. <laughs> so Lisa, how was your long run last week? We had talked in our last episode. You were debating whether to run in the freezing cold temps. What did you do? I did. I sucked it up and I said I'm gonna go out and just give this a try and I actually started in my neighborhood said I'm gonna do a loop around my neighborhood and if this is really bad I can just cut it short and come home so I ended up doing one loop in my neighborhood and it wasn't too bad I was really careful to dress appropriately so I had my hand warmers my gloves I had our ear our run farther and faster ear warmers and a hat over that I had my lululemon jacket that I love I had uh leggings tights but then I also put I talked to you about this I told you we have these lululemon fleece leggings fleece joggers that are really for casual wear and I really love them wearing around the house my kids joke and say like are you ever going to take them off they're so warm and in our cold weather they've been great I figured you know what why don't I put them on and run in them they're not specifically made for running they were amazing so I wasn't cold and I did the first loop around my neighborhood streets and then I said all right I'm still a little nervous to leave because maybe I still will want to cut. Maybe I'll get cold eventually. The wind started picking up. What was the real field temperature when you left your house oh, that day? Oh, it was negative. I think it, it was. I think it was five degrees. Five degrees without the real field. And the real field was negative five or negative eleven. Oh my god! I know. I looked at that and I kept telling myself, "Don't look at that. Just go out and see." It, it usually. We've talked about this before too. That usually it looks worse than it is when it looks like it's going to rain and we work it up in our head to be worse. So I said, again, I said, do a loop through the neighborhood. And then I did that loop and I said, let me do another loop because maybe I'll stop after this loop. The wind was picking up and that's where it gets a little bit dicey to me or a little bit less comfortable was when the wind picked up. So I said, let me do another loop. And I, I, by this time, I think my neighbors in my neighborhood think I 
in the crazy running lady. He was doing lots of loops through the neighborhood. And I did that second loop and I was still okay. And I thought, all right, I'm going to go out of the neighborhood and finish this up. So I did it. I was fine. I felt pretty badass for doing it. And it was done and it was out of the way on Thursday. That's impressive. What did you do about your face? Because you're running in negative um, wind chills and you're running in wind. And it sounds like you had all of your extremities covered. What about your face? So I had a neck warmer, like a one of, uh, again, also a Lululemon, one of the neck warmers. And it, you can pull it up over your face. So I started with it over my face, but it was actually fogging up my glasses. The, the steam from my breath was fogging up my glasses, which was sort of freezing on the glasses. So it wasn't even like I could wipe it away. So I'd pull it down so I could breathe. And then when my face got too cold, when I got that feeling of like, you can't even talk, I'd pull it up get it a little bit warm, warm my face with my breath and then pull it back down. I think this whole exchange is really going to inspire people to start winter running. Just kidding. (laughs) It it was fine. And like I said, I ran by a few neighbors who were like, you're so dedicated. And I thought that's code word for crazy. crazy. But I always say crazy is just a word that the lazy use to describe the dedicated. So, but it was, they were saying, oh, you're so dedicated. I thought, no, this probably is crazy. But again, it really, it really drove home the fact that give it a try, depending on what the weather is, be safe. And I ran on a day, interestingly enough, on Thursday, the roads were dry. I didn't have any icy spots. I didn't have to contend with any of that. I don't know if you remember, but we got some surprise snow on Friday when the kids got out of school early. Yeah. And that day, I at first I thought, if I don't run on Thursday, maybe I'll make time on Friday. It would be a little more difficult and not as ideal. I'd have to run in between teaching two classes, which I don't usually like to do. But I thought, well, if I have to, I can push it till Friday. I'm so glad I didn't because Friday, the roads got covered with snow again. And that, to me, is more uh, dangerous and less comfortable and, and not ideal. So I was glad it was out of the way on Thursday and... Then we had 72 degree weather yesterday. I know, just crazy. It was crazy. So I did my long run for the first time in 2019 on a Saturday. How novel is that? I actually had time Saturday morning, but the roads were not favorable. In fact, a lot of people chose to opt, chose to move their runs to Sunday um, because conditions were quite icy. So what I did was I drove around my neighborhood early Saturday morning to sort of examine their streets. They were salted and there weren't any, maybe a few, but nothing noticeable icy spots in my neighborhood. So I had an 18 miler and I decided to do a half treadmill run half outside. So I did, um, about five miles on my treadmill and then did the rest of my run, so um, 13 more outside. I kind of told myself if it was bad, I would just go back on my treadmill, and it wasn't. It was fine. Um, I might. Did you change before you went out from using your sweaty clothes and treadmill? You're warm. It's did you did you change before you went out or dry your hair? That's a great question. I did change. Um, I also ran with uh, Jen Schwartz and um, Carol Camel, and Jen Schwartz did the same thing that I did from her home. She ran to start off on the treadmill and then we all met at eight when it was a little warmer out and um I changed as well as she did because it's really not ideal to sweat and then go outside and run even on warm days I find that to be I just get chills so um that's that was something I did as well so that's a great question and what I wore to stay warm the wind chills were still pretty cold but they were not negative I think they were in the single digits it was cold but um, like you, I had a face warmer, neck warmer, um, hat, fleece line tights, and a few layers up top. Nothing too extreme, and I was fine. Um, hand warmers for me are always key. As long as my extremities are warm, I'm, my core gets warm pretty quickly. So got through that run. I can't say I felt great. I think when the temperatures are cold, no matter how warmly I dress, I feel stiffer. Well, it's the same in the heat. Anything that deviates from our about 50 degree ideal yeah. weather. And I think we both have seen that this week as the weather got nicer and we've seen it with our runners. It's felt great. Oh, it's been it's awesome. felt great. My paces have been better. It's, uh, it's just, it's so much nicer to run when it's not, when it's extreme in either direction, either extreme cold or extreme hot will affect us. And I, we, we both see that. Oh so yeah. So it's, that's a hard, that's a long run in freezing temperatures yeah. and to split it up like that too that that makes it a little bit because you gotta get started again yes that's hard yes 
so when I, I was happy to be done, I, I was definitely, and I stretched a lot on Saturday because I could just feel how stiff my muscles felt from the cold. So I did a lot of foam rolling and just kind of kept moving. And that really helped me recover along with having the right foods after making sure I got some protein and carbs. Um, my go-to after a long run, if it's earlier in the morning, I definitely like either eggs and some whole grain bread or um, eggs and fruit or um, a Greek yogurt with fruit. That's kind of something I like to have right away after a run to have the protein and the carbs. Yeah, our mileage is getting up now to the point where we really do have to start paying close attention and being very deliberate about our recovery. And I forgot to mention to you, I did my first massage that my free, my year of free massages. Oh, yeah. Got my free massage and it was fabulous. It's at a, it's the Central Maryland School of Massage Therapy in Frederick. So it's a little bit of a drive, but I had this student who was really great and found a lot of my tight spots and I wish I, I, I should go more frequently. It's a little bit, it's far to go and uh, I have another one scheduled for this month, but I've also had to start focusing on that recovery and making sure nutrition is good, making sure I'm foam rolling. Luckily for me, the kids, my kids are doing, yeah, you know, have their cycling team practice and four days a week and they cycle in the cycle studio, but then they do core conditioning and foam rolling. So I join them for that. Yeah. It's that's a good really way to smart. force myself to do it. That's really smart. I was actually foam rolling last night with Ella. She at in PE class they had a wall sit contest yesterday. Oh, she's and sore. she <laughs> she came home from school and she said my 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 Lots. thighs hurt and I have to dance tonight oh. and I I don't usually do wall sits for 3 minutes. So I think she got uber competitive about it or something, but I could tell her legs were really shaky. So I busted out that um, vibrating foam roller I have. Uh Yeah. So the orange one, it's awesome. And I showed her how to use that um, directly on those spots and she felt much better. She said, or it's a placebo, but either way it seemed to work. She felt better. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so what about your running this week? Did you do a track workout? You've done a track workout this week? I did. It was hard. I did. Um, it was more of a tempo. I did a two mile warm up followed by an hour of, um, MP miles. So I I ran a pace an hour. hour. So I, I got in about, um, seven and a half to, I think I got in about eight miles, but, um, that's because I did a few closer to LT and some closer to MP. Um, I do a lot of my track workouts in the park in my neighborhood. Um, I usually do them with Felix and, um, we motivate each other and the circumference of the park is about a 1000. So it's safe. It's generally very salted and, and, um, treated in winter months. And a lot of people are, are at this park, so I feel like I'm not alone, even if I'm running alone, which is not ideal in the dark, and I don't tend to do that. But, um, yeah, it's a great spot, and I generally don't even go to the track much anymore. I've been using this park for years, and it's served me well. How about you? So I did my long run early this week. I did it yesterday because my typical Thursday run day, my daughter has something at her school, so I won't be able to get in a long run. So I planned in advance and it didn't hurt that it was beautiful weather. So I wanted to get it in before the weather got cold again. And I I don't typically like to do that. I like to spread my long run out by at least a week, sometimes a week and a half. But I had taken that long run in the cold pretty easy and I was feeling pretty good. And again, the weather was really nice and I knew my time is short at the end of this week. So I did it a day early and I got in my first 20 miler. I usually aim to get in my first 20 miler once February hits. So we're in February, my first 20 miler, what I, I, I tend to do is alternate between 20 miles now and a shorter run, shorter long run every other week. So I'll try to get in a 20, close to 18 to 20 miler every other week through Boston now. And then what's your shorter distance long run? About 16, 15, 16. I cut it back. I just don't feel like I need to do 20 miles every week no not at all I feel like 16 is long enough that Mm -hmm. I've got a lot of time on my feet and it's it's enough and gives me that chance to recover a little bit more before the next 20 miler and that's a great point when you mentioned time on 
you can hear this big truck next to us as we're driving when we talk about time on your feet um especially in the winter months paces tend to be slower when you're trying to avoid slippery spots so sometimes it's better just to plan these runs for time on your feet versus mileage so hypothetically if you had done your long run yesterday you plan on doing 20 but let's say it took you about three hours because you're running much slower you could have just stopped at 18 because you were it's time on your feet that you're really training your body for the marathon it's it's not as much about getting 20 in or 21 or 22 or 18 it's about how much time you're spending so you can adjust to that feeling by the time um, marathon day hits yeah there's nothing magical about 20 miles and actually i've heard in europe they go by kilometers round Mm -hmm. kilometer numbers which don't sync up quite to 20 miles or it's just a nice number that everyone likes to have in their head so i do i actually do that most of the time is I go by time. So if I see that I'm getting towards two and a half hours and I know that that's really all I want to do, I I don't worry so much about the distance. So, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, we've been doing this rodeo long enough that we both know our bodies and we know that sometimes it's better to underdo it than overdo it. Um, In fact, it reminds me of a story. Do you remember when we, a few years ago, we attended a, like a running and medicine conference at University of Virginia. We were roomies. We had a great time. We learned so much. And we, we didn't put what we were learning into practice because it was almost as if we had separated what we were learning in this running and medicine conference from our own training. Well, we went before, before the conference started. I think. Oh, is that what it was? Okay. And, and I think, like you said the other day, we never would do that now. Now we would know what to do but what happened was it had snowed in the dc area the snow had cleared but by the time we got down to uva they still had snow on the ground and we but we were adamant we were going to get in wake up before the conference early and we were going to get in our long run and we would go one way and there would be lots of ice so we'd have to turn around and go another way and then walk over icy spots and then stop and figure out where we were and it was this like comedy of errors and frustrating and just not productive at all and you said the other day if we had gone back now and had that same situation we would have said forget it we'll get in our long run next week when we get home so definitely with time comes wisdom yes absolutely it's definitely a great memory and and definitely it's fun yeah a a lesson in what not to do you do not have to do every single long run in the schedule if you miss one it's okay we are human we are not machines and we just all just need to get in that time on your feet even if it means you're walking some of it or you piece it together that's another you know you did that uh, a couple weeks ago when we had our lululemon run you ran some at home then you took a break you came you ran some with the group it's okay on occasion to to have to do something that's not exactly uh you know exactly your your perfect long run absolutely so i think i'm actually going to do that again this weekend we have our february lululemon group run from the gaithersburg store on saturday and i'll probably do the same thing again and piece it together i'm hoping to do somewhere around 20 and i'll get to what I get to before we start our run uh, around nine o'clock. So, um, that's when the group's starting. We'll probably do between four and six with the group starting at nine on Saturday. So I'll do what I can before then. It's perfect. That's my plan. Yeah. It's cold weather again. Uh, I'm loving this weather and I know it's short lived, but I'm sure I'm not alone in that. I appreciate it so much more after the hellish week we had last week where not only was it freezing and snowy, but there was no school. There was no school to be had last week. Every day. We did. We had oh, yeah, you did. We did have some full. We, we did have a, a few. One delay when you were off and one full day when you were delayed. So we did have some. But yeah, we went from negative 10 degree wind chills to 72 73 mm-hmm. degrees yesterday as a record which is very very crazy <laughs> yeah yeah so anyway so anything else going on this week nothing particular just um excited about our lululemon group run and now that we've had a few days of nice weather starting to feel excited about springtime coming about yeah how about you um, nothing too new with me. I think uh, just trying to keep our runners motivated. We've got a lot of runners who are training for things for spring marathons, and everyone's doing great this week. The weather's nice, and on those weeks when it's tougher out, I, I feel like that's when when our job as coaches as coaches is really important. And uh, just trying to figure out how to help our runners figure out their why. And what I mean by that is when we just think about accomplishing runs just for running sometimes we lose motivation because it's 
it's hard to stay motivated all the time. So when we can wake up in the morning in the dark and stop for a second and think about why we're doing this, it always helps us stay motivated. But the why is why we are having as a guest this week, Dr. Jennifer Lager on our podcast. We've worked with Jen for years. Uh, She is an awesome sports psychologist in the DC area, but she helps athletes all over the country through Skype and through her virtual therapies, as well as in-office therapies in McLean, Virginia. And she helped facilitate our Read Farther and Faster book club last year, where we read the book Beyond Grit by Sindra Kampoff. If you are someone that is struggling with your mental game. Beyond Grit is an awesome book. And we did a book club around that, had a few sessions where we discussed mental strength and training and how to to sort of figure out your why and how to stay motivated and also how to deal with negative thoughts in racing. So Jen is up next on the podcast and she is going to talk to us about strategies on how to eliminate those negative thoughts while racing, how to eliminate those negative thoughts while training, how to deal with them and how to just be mentally stronger during racing. How to incorporate mental training into our training because whatever we're going to want to execute on race day, we want to be practicing now and Jen is a great resource to give us some training tips for our brains and our minds. That's right. So she'll be up next. Lisa, I hope you have a great week. You too. Enjoy the last few days of nice weather. You too. Bye. Dr. Jennifer Lager is a sports psychologist, a former collegiate diver and swimmer. Dr. Lager's experience as a competitive athlete fueled her interest in studying and specializing in sports psychology as a career. In McLean, Virginia, she heads her own practice called GAME, which stands for Get a Mental Edge. Dr. Lager works with a variety of athletes, including marathoners and triathletes. She seeks to help individuals reach their full potential as human beings and competitors. Welcome, Dr. Lager. We are so excited to welcome to the podcast today, Dr. Jennifer Lager. Welcome, Dr. Lager. Is it okay if we call you Jen? Absolutely. We know each other too well for you not to call me Jen. <laughs> hi, Lisa. Hi, Julie. It's so nice to be here with you. Hi, Dr. Lager slash Jen. Um, well, before we get started, because we have a lot to cover, we wanted to ask you, tell us a little bit about yourself and for our listeners. Absolutely. Um, I'm a clinical psychologist with a specialization in sport and performance psychology. I have an office in McLean, Virginia. So many of the athletes I work with are local to me, but I also work with athletes all over the country, um, some professional athletes, Olympic athletes. So for them, often our work is done um, through uh, video conferencing or on the phone as well. Okay, so that means you do not have to be local to use your services. That's right. Um, If you want to learn more about my services, I have um, my business is called Game, Get a Mental Edge. And I have a web page, which is um, getamentaledge.com. You can take a look at it and you can email me through there if you have any questions after the podcast today. And what kinds of athletes do you generally um, provide services for? Oh, it's really run the gamut. I've worked with um, ice skaters. I've worked with lots of marathoners, worked with triathletes, baseball players, basketball players, um, uh, cyclists, um, ballet dancers, um, pretty much, you know, these, the wonderful thing about these skills that you can learn through sports psychology is they're applicable to really any sport and they're applicable to life. Um, They help you with performance across the board. Lots of tennis players too. Wonderful. And one last question about your background before we we get into the questions, and that is, how long do you generally see an athlete for before their their big goal? Oh, you know, it really varies. Um, I'm going to answer that by not really answering it. It really varies. I think the sooner you start, if you've got a big goal, the better, because as we're going to talk about the place where you practice learning these things is not on the race course. The place where you practice is when you go out for your run, um, you know, and, and all during your training. So 
the longer you give yourself to start to strengthen these mental skills, it's like a muscle. Um, you're going to build that muscle over time better than if you try to do it real quickly. Obviously, if someone comes in and it's close to a race, we do the best we can. And we try to build as many skills as possible. But if we have a little bit more time than that, it gives you more time to solidify uh, the new things that you've learned. Fantastic. And that's a nice transition into our first question. Right. So you were talking about the, the mental edge. And can you talk a little bit about why the mental edge or mental strength is important on race day and why then backing up from that, we're going to want to practice that during our training. But what, why is it so critical in race execution? Sure. Um, really the mental part is often the difference between a good and a great performance across different sports, but that certainly applies to marathon races. Physical preparation gets you most of the way, but it only gets you so far. And I think the reason that that happens, especially in endurance sports, is because there's a certain amount of willpower that you have, and it's finite. And pain and fatigue, which are normal and natural parts of running running marathons, um, they wear down your willpower. And so your willpower is part of what lets you fight through negative thinking. And, um, and so when your willpower goes down, your emotions get heightened, you're going to feel more fatigued, and you're going to have more trouble being positive. So the more you can do to make some of these skills automatic, the easier time you're going to have them doing, the, sorry, the easier time you're going to have doing them when you don't have a lot of willpower left, if that makes sense. It makes great sense. Can you define, even though willpower is a commonly used term in, in our language, can you define what you mean by willpower? What I mean is by willpower is that it's the emotional strength to control yourself. So um, I'm sure we've all had this experience where when we get a bad night's sleep, for example, um, we, we have a much shorter fuse. We have less willpower when we're tired. And the willpower is what enables us to filter our thoughts and feelings and choose a little bit more the direction we're going to go rather than being guided by kind of what pops up. That helps a lot. That makes a lot of sense. So sort of building off our last question, how can marathoners channel positive thinking into better race results? I know that's a loaded question, but help us out with that because that's what everyone wants. Better race results, right. Yeah. The, the, the irony, and, and we've talked about this before, I've talked about this with both of you before, the irony is that a lot of times we get over-focused on the results, and I think part of how you get to those results is what's called a focus on process goals versus outcome goals. And so, again, we're kind of back to talking about what do you do during your preparation for a race. If you are focusing on your day-to-day -day goals, both mental and physical, you're likely to stay motivated, you're likely to have an easier time with the positive thinking. And those process goals are what leads you to those outcome goals of a better race that you want. So what are some examples of process goals? Um, from, from a mental perspective, because I think you guys can speak better than me about the process goals for the, the physical training. Okay. So we'll give a couple of examples of process goals. One process goal would be uh, generally speaking, workout by workout. Each, each workout for this week, you could say this week I'm going to get in my four workouts or this week I'm going to get outside to run instead of defaulting to my comfort zone in the treadmill four times or, or something like that. Or this week I'm going to practice uh, fueling on my long run and, and mimicking what I plan to do on my race. These are all examples of mini goals or process goals. But but what else do you define as process goals? So process goals would also be, let's say that you've decided to um, practice mindfulness while you're running. Mindfulness is um, a technique where you work very hard to stay in the present moment. Um, you're not rehashing things that have happened earlier in your training or earlier in your race, and you're not preparing for things that are to come. Um, again, like a muscle that you train over time, mindfulness is something that you get better at um, the more you practice it. So that might be a process goal is to spend some portion of each um, training run in a mindful state. That's one example. Another That's one. Great. Wait, okay. Wait, okay. So let's yeah. stop there. Let's, yeah, let's, sure. And we'll get to the next example in a second, but let's go back to mindfulness because that is really hard for runners. Runners, generally speaking, not everyone, but a lot of marathoners, as you know, are type A people who are really hard on themselves. So tell us, if, if you can, what, what type of mindfulness would you encourage a 
type A marathoner specifically to practice. And I'm talking about someone who's running and says, oh, I'm not feeling so great. This workout is bad. I'm not doing a good job. I might as well just throw in the towel. Oh, I'm a terrible runner. You know, people go down that slippery slope. What What is a mindfulness exercise that that individual could do? Right. Um, a, a great one that I really like is to train yourself to understand that thoughts are just thoughts and feelings are just feelings. They are not facts. They are not reality unless you choose to make them your reality. So um, I, I like this image of thinking about yourself like you're sitting and watching the clouds drift by. And each of these thoughts that you're having is on a cloud. And you see the cloud, but you don't climb on the cloud or you don't try to catch the cloud in a net and bring it to you. You see it, it comes, it goes, it passes by. So that's a mind mindfulness skill that people can work on to get less engaged with problematic or negative thoughts that they might have. And even use the mantra of saying, a thought's just a thought, a feeling's just a feeling, it's not fact. Love that. Okay, so next, your second example of process goals. You had the first one is mindfulness. Um, okay, what was I going to say? Now i got to remember. <laughs> oh, yes, now I remember. Okay, a second example of something to do. Wait, you asked for a second example of what to do um, during practice or a second yes. example of mindfulness? Yes. Okay, so another example of something that's great to do while you're practicing is the use of mantras. Um, and, and you can incorporate other things with a mantra. A mantra is kind of like a verbal something that you say to yourself. You know, it might be saying to yourself, fight or never give up or, um, you know, some, some statement that kind of encapsulates um, that feeling that you get when you are pushing, when you're fighting, um, when you're strong. Um, some people like to um, combine this mantra either with the form of like an animal or something. So for example, maybe they would envision a gazelle or maybe they would envision a, a cheetah or, you know, some animal that to them is fierce and is strong and is powerful and can run a long way, you know, that sort of thing. Other people might want to include some sort of visual like they've got little fiery boosters on the back of their feet. And so they practiced envisioning, like I'm gonna turn my boosters on right now. And they sort of see this fire coming out of the back of their feet and they feel the energy that comes from that vision. So these are all things that you can be practicing. And again, the more you practice them, the better able you're gonna be able to draw upon them, hopefully in the midst of a race. That's really helpful. I do recall you telling us something specifically about developing a mantra. And that is, if possible, make your mantra a positive language versus um, don't stop. Don't, don't. Yeah. Is, is that still the case? Do you still... Yes. I, I okay. think that that's better if you can come, you know, what is the alternative to don't stop? Keep going. Keep going. <laughs> Relentless or yeah, something, something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Lisa came up with a great mantra. Um, we were talking about it a few, a few episodes ago where um, when you have win, she now says, and I love it, absorb the body blow. Ah, good okay. Good mantra. That's a really good mantra. And I think that also fits with the idea of mon mindfulness, right? Because part of what you're doing in mindfulness is you're sort of absorbing these things that are going on, but you're not letting them define your experience. Yes. You know, you're sort, of, you're sort of acknowledging them without engaging with them. And that's really what you're saying when you're saying to absorb it. You're sort of acknowledging that it's there, but you're not letting it define you. Right. Yeah, that's something I found in a race. I actually, I have to give credit to um, the head of our, my children's school, Rabbi Mitch Malkus, who was the one who told that to me in the context of dealing with difficult people when you're dealing with somebody who's angry and, you know, in a really mad at you at, at that moment in time to absorb the body blow, you know, say, I hear you. I understand. Don't try to fight back because then they're going to try to fight back. You know, the, it, you know, you fight force with force. So to absorb the body blow. And I've, found that using that in my training and in my racing has been really helpful. So you, you talked about a few things. You talked about having a mantra. You talked about maybe the imagery of boosters on your, on your shoes, uh, about picturing your thoughts or your feelings as clouds that are kind of drifting through. And we talked about mindfulness. Um, what are, are there other things, other strategies that you recommend runners do during a race, maybe when they start to hurt? When thinking, you know, in a marathon by mile 20, we're starting to maybe hitting the wall. Yeah. Yeah. Start to feel that, um, you know, th that you're physically starting to, to feel that energy drain and mentally things can start going down a negative 
a, a negative route. But what what other are there other things that you can recommend during a race, whether um, to keep yourself positive or to get yourself out of a, a negative moment? And a marathon's a very long time, so it is. It's if you could have a, a mile where you're just really it's really tough and uh, you've got a lot more to go. So what what else do you recommend? Uh, practical strategies that runners can use during a race? I think it's always helpful to reflect on why you chose to run this race in the first place. Um, you know, and again, you can, you can come up with something that the race means. It can be summed up by a word or image. Um, I went up and worked on the cycling team at the Toronto Marathon um, in 2018. And a neat thing that they do there is they have little pieces of the finish line. And if runners would like um, that they can kind of clip it onto their number. And so it's a very visual, Ooh. yeah, isn't that a really neat thing? That, that's something that Kate Hayes came up with up there. Um, so it's a, it's a really nice visual reminder of kind of wh- where you're heading and why you're doing this. I mean, getting to the finish is only part of why you're doing it. People run for all sorts of reasons to, um, to get in shape or to raise money for a charity or you know, there's a million reasons, right? And they're all very unique and personal. So I think in those very difficult moments, that is something that can give you a little bit of strength to remember why you're doing it in the first place, because your brain can start to play tricks on you and say to you, this is crazy. You know, why, why did I ever decide to do this? I should just stop now. And so that's probably something runners should think about before they get to race day, right? Why, what, what, why am I running? What's motivating me? Are those are those thoughts that runners can practice before they get to race day and then draw upon on, during the race? Absolutely. And in fact, it's not like during a race is the only time when we struggle, right? There, I'm, I'm sure you guys see this all the time. There are runners who really struggle at certain points in their training. And so it's something that they can really go back to um, to help them really um, kind of recharge their motivation and remember um, why they're doing it in the first place. Love that. So keep your why in mind, especially during the tough times. Um, What about when uh, a marathoner is experiencing physical pain? Do you have any any, um, sort of tips for when that happens? Because it's a fact and and it's not a thought, but it's one of those things where you have to sort of learn to deal. And I don't want to say embrace the pain, but you have no choice. So do you have any sort of methodologies for those runners that are feeling really badly (laughs) toward the end of a race. Yeah. You know, there's a, there's a study that was, there's several different studies that have shown this same thing, but there was a study done where they had um, a group of um, students ride bikes and they said to them, um, ride until you really truly cannot ride any farther. And then they, they studied their muscles and they found that there were more stores of energy in there. They've done this study before where they've done it with rats as well, running on treadmills. So the, the point is that your brain decides to give up before your body really needs to. Now, I'm going to say that with a caveat of saying, you know, there's pain and there's pain. And, you, you know, it's very difficult, but you have to be able to discriminate between pain that is the, the pain of exertion and pain that is injury pain. And I think only by knowing your own body can you figure that out. But assuming we're not talking about someone injuring themselves, because then I really don't want to encourage them to ignore the pain in their body. But when we're really talking about exertion pain, um, I think that's a pretty powerful thing to know that your brain tells you to stop before your body actually is out of energy. That's a great thing to know. And it, it really underlines that, of course, this is obvious, but we tend to forget this. The brain and the body are connected. Yes, they are. <laughs> <laughs> and human willpower is very strong. The will of, of our minds can channel um, great things out of our bodies, but we have to train the brain. Right. So that goes to the second um, part of our questioning, which is now that we've kind of talked about some, some tools we can use while racing, Let's talk about um, how do we train our brains to put all the things we just talked about into practice on race day? Right. Um, and, there, you know, and there's other things that we didn't talk about that we, maybe we can come back to about the things you want to be doing on race day. I think one of the best tools that you can use is visualization. Um, visualization allows you to um, imagine things going well, but visual. Visualization also allows you to imagine things going less than perfectly and see yourself responding to the challenges that are going to come up during a race, Um, whether it be weather, whether it be a cramp, whether it be 
uh, hitting the wall. You know, um, there's, there's so many different challenges. Some are more predictable than others, perhaps. But I think there's something very powerful in being able to create contingency plans for the things that can go wrong. And um, that makes it a lot easier to deal with them. And again, kind of going back to that willpower, it takes a lot less mental energy if you're prepared in that way. Well, I think that's a great example, and um, it certainly was one of the reasons that many people believe that Des Linden won the Boston Marathon this year, because mm. she um, she put a lot of thought into those contingency plans, but also she she ran in that weather, and she didn't decide to skip a run when the conditions were extremely unfavorable, but rather ran in it. And so did the men's winner. Um, Interesting. And so I think that's a great, a great thing to practice is not just visualization, but actually having the mindset of, of running through every condition because you could be presented with every condition with the caveat, you don't want to run in dangerous conditions like ice. Right. Right. But well, we but, talked about this yeah. a few weeks ago too, where we talked about Julie, you talked about your, your mindset when it's mm-hmm. a really windy day, instead of dreading it, looking at it as part of your training in case on race day it's windy and you know you can do it same thing with the with the rainy weather here we've talked about um, as long as it's not dangerous getting out in the rainy weather because then you you know you've done it and you know you can do it again so that helps with visualization that's that's a good suggestion. Any others that you would recommend? Um, I think if anyone hasn't had exposure to Carol Dweck's work or to any of the information that's out there about um, the difference between a fixed and a growth mindset, that's a really, really crucial um, concept for marathoners to understand. I, I think what you're saying, you know, you know, yes, we've we've worked with athletes who tend to run inside on the treadmill when the weather's a little icky. Um, because they, they don't really see the benefit in running out in that. But if you have a, what's called a growth mindset, you see challenges as opportunities for growth. And that's really what you're talking about is the only way you're going to grow and learn how to manage um, those difficult conditions is to experience them and work your way through a strategy for them. Absolutely. We actually read her book uh, for my kids' school actually had the panel ah, the book. That's uh, wonderful. So kids with the same thing with the growth mindset. And I think that's a really... Uh, that's a really great analogy and, and a great application uh, to running. What what other exercise? So say we're going out for our long run or just even a midweek run now. What are some things we can do that we can actually put into practice during our run to work on visualization so that we're prepared and we've trained our mind for race day? Well, I think um, the visualization is something you're um, optimally going to be doing when you're not in the midst of running. And I think what you can do is, to the best of your ability, anticipate um, places where you might have challenges and, and take yourself through them in a visualization. Make your visualization as vivid as possible using all your senses and see yourself coming up with a plan of how you're going to address that. And then when you go out on your run, hopefully you can draw up that visualization that you created and put it into play, if that makes sense. Right. So practice it when you're going to sleep at night or when you've got some quiet time during the day and then put it into, is that, does that sound right? Right. Yes. Some point during the day when you can focus and, and practice it then, and then put it into practice when you go out for your run. Right. Another thing I would say that I think is helpful to do when you're not running is um, if you've run races before to reflect on your previous races, think about what you've learned that can help you. And if this is your first race, talk to people who have more experience to help you prepare. That's great. And similarly, or conversely, it's important to not allow a race that didn't go so well to define you as a runner. Well, again, that gets to the growth mindset that, you know, every, every challenge is an opportunity. So what can you take away? What can you learn from that race that didn't go well? Um, and maybe all you learn is that at the end of the day, we don't have total control over things. We can do everything that we think is quote unquote right to prepare for a race and still something can go wrong. Right. One thing we actually recommend some of our runners or any of our runners who are running a race they haven't run before do is see if there's a video on YouTube of the race. So maybe the race start or maybe part of the course so that they can visualize what actually what is what is the course look like? What is it going to what are the crowds going to look like? What does the start line look like? Uh, So we often recommend that they search on YouTube for somebody who took a video of maybe the part of the course or start or the finish. 
Absolutely, because that allows you to anticipate and plan a little better. And another thing that um, I would say is helpful to do, and I'm sure you talk with your runners about this, is, you know, to have multiple races within a race. That your your goals for a certain part of the race may be different or your focus for a certain part of the race might be different. At the beginning of the race, maybe you're taking in the sights and you're staying on your pace and you're trying to enjoy. And then maybe a different part of the race you're pushing, you know, you know, but it doesn't have to be the same the whole race through. So especially if you know the race course, that can help you determine what you're going to do where. That, that's a great suggestion, especially um, for those runners who are really fixated on a specific time. A lot of runners who are running marathons these days, obviously their goal, especially anyone listening to this podcast, is to BQ, qualify for Boston. And while that is the ultimate goal, to have many goals within the race can make the process of not only training for the race, but also the run itself a bit more enjoyable and less narrow narrowly focused i think also for a marathon it breaks it down for a a marathon can be so if you start at the beginning of the marathon you think about where am i going to be two hours three hours that's a really well and that's and that's not mindful right that's a future orientation so if you're if you're being mindful you're really focusing on what's going on right now and you know there are times in a race where it doesn't make any sense to be mindful people use um cognitive tools to distract themselves from pain um, but but I think that's different than being focused on the future of the race because that can be d- pretty disheartening. Right. Well, if you're in pain or you need some, you you then need to know if in that moment you may need some some way to disassociate or some way to right. to distract yourself. So that's right. still that's still being in the moment. I think that's, right. that's a really in, important point. So um, the mantra "run the mile you're in" would be very appropriate um, for what you're describing. Yeah, and I think you can even break it down. You know, especially in those moments when you've hit a wall, maybe it's about just you know one foot in front of the other and focusing on technique. You know, thinking about quick feet or high hands or leaning forward or relaxing your shoulders. Whatever things you know give you good technique, that's being absolutely in the moment. Is really being quite tuned into those specific. Um, uh, skills that your body does when you're running, when you're running well. Can, can you talk for a moment about it? If this is related, but on a little bit of a tangent, how about, how do you prevent other people around you or maybe at the race start or, you know, in Boston, it's a big, we're all in Hopkinton and you're around a lot of nervous runners. Same thing when you're on the course, you're with people who, you know, may have a, they, they may have a, a different, you know, they, they just may, they may be, may be nervous. They may be pushing themselves. How do you recommend people, separate themselves and, and focus on themselves and not on what's going on around them with, with other people. I think that may be a place where a mantra may come in handy and, you know, something to the effect of, you know, this is my race or I'm running my race and, you know, a, a race belongs to anyone on any given day. So the, the more you focus on these things outside of yourself, other people and their nerves or, or whatever it might be, the more you take yourself away from, from your process and from your experience. And that's a shame, right? I don't know if, yeah. that, I don't know if that's what you're looking for. Yeah, I know that that's, you know, I think that just happens. I see a lot of people get to, it even happens in training. We look around at other people and think, oh, you know, doubt ourselves. Am I doing the right thing? And should I be training the way they're training when we get to Hopkinton? You know, what, why is that person doing that for their warm up, or why are they, you know, and we can start to doubt our own preparation and it sort of psychs us. It, it can, it can psych runners out and, and make them nervous at a time when they really need to be focusing. So I think that's great to have a mantra that's, this is my race. Or, tr- or trust, trust, trust my, yes, trust myself, trust my training, trust my training right. Yes. I'm ready. I belong here. You know, any of those kinds of confidence building things. Um, control the controllables. That's yes, yes, yes. Yes, absolutely. So, do you want to talk about that for a minute? What control the controllables means to you? Well, you know, um, obviously, there's things you can and can't control. Um, you can't control the weather. You can't control other people. Um, you, you can't always control. Um, you know, again, if something happens with your your body, um, but you can control um, your training, which at that point, you know, that's done, um, and your attitude and your responses to things. And really beyond that, um, the rest is not in your control. And there's a great relief in not trying to control things that you really can't. Absolutely. And um, I think a perfect example of that you mentioned is weather. 
we can only control how we respond to it. We can't control it. And that was, that was a big relief, I think, for us last year in Boston when we realized the weather was going to be horrible. We just had to embrace it and say, what can we do? We can get the right clothing. We can, uh, you know, bring lots of plastic baggies with us to Hopkins and we can stay dry. Right. And it, it really, there was nothing we could do. And it actually was sort of liberating to say, well, we're not going to change that. Now let's focus on, on the things that we can. So I think that's a great, great piece of advice. I Definitely. also think, I also think reminding yourself when it comes to pain and discomfort that it's temporary sometimes can be helpful. You know, it feels yes, like it's, ne- you know, it feels like it's never going to end, but it is going to end. Right. That was true with the weather last year too. And I think with, with certain types, at least with rain and wind, it lets up, it starts again when you're in a mile that it's not so bad. You can appreciate that when you're in a mile where it picks up, you can think this isn't going to last forever. So that, that also in certain types of weather now, if it's super hot weather, it's probably not going to cool down automatically all of a sudden, but but well, I and think I think you're, you're also, too. you're bringing up something else when you mentioned hot weather that um, you just reminded me, um, you know, it's, it's great to have these outcome goals about what you want to happen in a race, but you're not going to run the same race when it's hundred degrees as you're going to run when it's 50 degrees. So um, there needs to also be some um, ability to be flexible and to adjust your expectations. Because I think if you start a race with unrealistic expectations, that makes it really hard to finish the race um, without being devastated and it can make it really hard to complete the race period. So I I think that flexibility is really essential. That's a great parallel to life too, isn't it? Yes, it is. (laughs) (laughs) We don't always get what we want. (laughs) Exactly. Um, So right now we're in about uh, five weeks into our training, almost six weeks. And uh, this is definitely a tough part for a lot of people. We're in the throes of winter Uh, We just had a really cold week last week, and there's probably another few cold weeks down the pike um, of of record-setting temperatures. Uh, There always seems to be some sort of event during training, and it it can cause runners to feel discouraged along with just balancing life with training. What advice do you give to runners who may be feeling a little down about their training right now, knowing they've got several more weeks to go until race day? Um, I think it goes back to something we were talking about earlier, which is um, why are you doing this in the first place? Um, and I think if you go back to that, maybe it can give a little boost to motivation in those times when you're feeling low. The other thing I would, um, speaking about focusing on controllables, it may be that when you're feeling a little frustrated because maybe you're not hitting um, the times that you want in your trainings or something like that, maybe you feel more able at that time to be successful with a nutritional goal or a sleep goal. And, you know, as you all preach to your runners, you know, your nutrition and your sleep are obviously extremely important to your running success as well. And they advance you to your goals. So perhaps focusing on a different part of your training, if one certain part of your training is frustrating you. That makes sense. We also tell our runners sometimes, especially when they're kind of in the middle of training to pick a shorter distance race, maybe a 5k or a 10k that's, that's closer, you know, sooner than, than their goal race so that they have something to focus on that's more tangible and that's more immediate than, than their goal race. So a lot of us for Boston, Boston is coming up, but it's still far enough in the future that it is, we can lose the motivation. So sometimes having a, a, a more, current goal or a goal that is coming up sooner can can help with the motivation. Absolutely. Um, small measurable goals tend to motivate, tend to, tend to maintain motivation. Large and especially if they're unrealistic goals tend to destroy motivation. So beyond what you just said, which is a great idea, I also think breaking goals down into smaller parts where they're able to see movement in the right direction might help during these um, periods of time where maybe they are frustrated or feeling a little discouraged or feel like they've hit some sort of a plateau. Right. Yeah, no, I really, I I think that's a great suggestion. So um, before we, we wanted to give you a hypothetical, but before we do that, we wanted to kind of circle back because you had mentioned earlier that you had a few more race day tips, which we always welcome. So if there's anything we haven't covered um, in, yeah, is there any other race day, race execution tips that you could provide our listeners? Um, well, the other thing I would say is something, and again, you're going to want to practice this in your training 
so that you get to know yourself and your body really well. We all have an arousal level uh, when we're exercising. And sometimes we're, we're hyper aroused and sometimes we're hypo aroused. And so, um, you know, there is a sweet spot with that and it may be different for each of us and it may be different at different points during a race. So um, I think for, for athletes to get to understand what arousal level they perform well at at different points. Okay, so we, we have to ask, so explain arousal. From- uh, yeah, <laughs> I know it sounds sexual, but it's not. <laughs> so explain that term and what you mean. In it, it's sort of, it's sort of like, um, for example, I'm just going to use a non-running example. Let's say you were a tennis player and you were going into a match and you were playing someone that you had beat 10 times before pretty easily. You might be under aroused. You might be overconfident. You might be sort of taking for granted that it wasn't going to be a particularly good match. And that sometimes is when people um, end up getting, end up losing. So um, you might be too relaxed, really. You might be too relaxed. And then there are other times when you're anxious or you're too psyched up or, you know, your, your thoughts are swirling or your body is all tense. So hyperarousal is more like when you're anxious and your body is tense and under arousal is really when you're more relaxed than you want to be. If that so helps. That's sort of like the, the adrenaline we tell, or when our runners tell us the day before a race, I'm really nervous. And we say, that's good. We'd be worried if you weren't nervous. It's, it's, the, it's those nerves. Um, it may be coming from nerves. It may be coming from psyching themselves up for a race, it, you know, but, but the, I think the goal is to get that into some sort of optimal range as best right. as possible. Right. So, so it's not so low that you're not you're, you're not motivated and you're not, you don't have that adrenaline and it's not so high that you're You're like, you're like paralyzed. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, if if you think about, um, you know, if I'm relaxed and I listen to some upbeat music, maybe I'm going to get a little bit more psyched up. If I'm, if I'm too anxious and I listen to some mellow music, maybe that's going to help me calm down. Your breathing is a great thing that we haven't talked about yet. Obviously, I'm sure you all work with your runners around, around breathing as well. You know, your breath is with you all the time, and it's going to be with you that whole race course. So using your breathing to help you um, calm down if you're, if you're over aroused. So I think paying attention to arousal level can be helpful. You, you mentioned music, and we discourage our runners from running with music to the extent that they can't hear what's going on around them. And especially on race day, we encourage them to run without music so they can listen to their body, so they can take in the race experience. But you mentioned music. Can you talk a little bit about can music play a role in 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 your running, in your racing, assuming that you've got one earbud in, maybe in one earbud out so you can hear what's going on around you. But but how can music play play a role in in running and and in that creating that state of arousal? Well, I certainly think um, music can play a role in your pre-race routine, right? And we haven't talked at all about that, but I think having a, um, you know, when you, when you think about the baseball player that gets up to hit and they go through this whole thing where they touch their helmet and they scrape their foot three times in the, in the, you know, and they do a certain practice swing and whatnot, that's, that's a pre-performance routine. And um, the reason that those are comforting is because you do the same thing over and over again, and it helps with anxiety. So I would also encourage your listeners that um, you don't want to have a pre-race routine that's so rigid that if one piece of it isn't possible for some reason, they get freaked out that, oh my God, you know, I don't have my lucky socks. I'm, I can't run this race. But um, you do want to have a pre-race routine that helps you prepare and hopefully soothe some of the anxiety. And certainly listening to music then, whether it's pump up or calm down music, is, is a perfectly helpful thing to do. Um, again, you don't want to do that at the race for the first time. I think you want to try and, and experiment with that um, on long runs and see how that goes for you. Um, I, I think you all know more than me about kind of the pros and cons of them using music, but I certainly think that there could be times when music could help on a race course. Um, you know, there's a, there's a, um, Ironman athlete that I've worked with and she, when she was on the swim, which was her hardest part, she obviously didn't have music with her, but she would sing to herself. And so, you know, again, that's kind of one of those cognitive things that you can do as a distraction, but she would use different songs, different ways, depending on what she needed. Great. I love your suggestion about music beforehand because I didn't really ever think, I think about music during races and I I personally don't run with music, but I always think about how when I hear it on the course or uh, especially at Boston, when you go through certain, some of the towns and they've got music blaring and it really does kind of give you that push of adrenaline, but I've never really thought about it 
before as a preparation. So I think that's a great, a great tip as well. Right. I think kind of going along with that about things that you might experience on the course, I think a great tip, um, especially, you know, when you're talking about potentially hitting a wall, that's a great spot for you to ask your um, supporters or your loved ones to be at a race. So in those places where you think you might challenge, they, they can support you from outside. They can provide you for some strength during these moments when both your body and your mind are, are not at their strongest. And give you something to look forward to to break up that race course too. Right, right. Yeah, that's great. I like that. So, so your tips included um, having sort of the optimal level of adrenaline or arousal, um, using music appropriately maybe before a race or ha- and having a pre-race ritual, having some external factors such as people waiting for you during hard parts of the race. Um, anything else you can think of? Um, I think some people also find it helpful during a race to think about the finish line and think about how they're going to feel when they cross that finish line. And sometimes that can give people a little bit of a boost. I don't, I don't know if you've, you, you all are, um, you know, much, have you experienced that? Have you guys noticed that in your races? I think that's a great example specific for Boston because it's a race where the, the few days leading up to the race, they close um, Boylston Street, that area, and you can go to the finish line and hundreds of runners go and get their picture taken before the race on the finish line posing. And it's just a very special spot. And I think being there and envisioning yourself crossing it the next day is very powerful. So I think that's a great example. Okay. Um, So we wanted to sort of close it with um, giving you a little hypothetical. So um, the hypothetical is pretty common. So we have um, runners who often comment about when races get tough and how to deal with it. So we're going to give you a runner who's practiced everything you said. And the runner is ready and, and psyched and ready to run Boston, having a great race, has really stayed on pace, didn't start out too fast. And it's just feeling pretty good. And the runner feels great at mile 18, 19, feels like he or she has been spared. Oh, boy. I know, I know what's coming. <laughs> mile 21, boom. Runner's legs start to feel kind of heavy. And they're really starting to panic because the runner realizes that at mile 21, he or she has hit the wall. They still have five. Point two miles left, they, so, you know, which seems like a lot at that point. What do you say to this runner if you could run alongside him or her at that moment? Um, well, you know, you know, there's some um, research that looks that's looked at hitting the wall, and obviously, a large part of that is um, physical. Um, the part that's psychological, from what I understand, is that there tends to be a drop in your dopamine when you've exerted your body that hard for that long. And that neurotransmitter is responsible for motivation and excitement. So um, that's where I think the idea of having some supporters along the, the, along the path there, it's, you know, it's not a perfect solution, but I think they can, um, from the outside, give you the motivation and the excitement that you're unable to draw up within yourself at that moment. Um, I know it's not perfect, but I do think trying to remind yourself of the why you're doing this um, can be helpful in that moment. And, and obviously I'm sure you've talked with runners before about the physical things that they can do in terms of boosting their blood sugar and things like that. Yes. So, um, anything that you would specifically say to that runner, if you could run alongside him or her when he's starting to feel like, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can do this. What would you say to that runner if you could get inside their head? Yeah, I think I would, um, I would try to get them into the moment, you know, like we spoke about before, I would try to have them focus on just the one step at a time. What is it you need to be thinking about? You need to be thinking about, um, you know, your, your, um, the way your foot is landing on the ground, having quick feet, you know, um, keeping your shoulders relaxed or whatever it is in terms of um, physical technique that allows them to run well, that's something that they can focus on that might be helpful because it's very in the moment. Um, they can think, they can visualize the um, finish line and see if that gives them a little kick. It's a very, it's a very hard problem. And I think to the best of your ability, doing the things earlier in the race to prevent it is probably the best thing you can do, which doesn't really answer your question, but. No, no, it really does. I think, I think your answer is very practical and, um, 
the the thing you mentioned earlier with a thought is a thought it's not necessarily a fact is very helpful in that moment because you could be in a really dark place but that's just a thought it's not a fact and you can also even say to yourself i know why this is happening this is happening because the dopamine in my brain has decreased you know because i've been running for x amount of time so okay, like I get that that's what my brain's doing. Like you can distance yourself from those thoughts a little bit by recognizing where they're coming from and that they're not a true representation of your, your desire to finish that race. Yeah, it seems like it would be helpful for runners to know that too ahead of time for us to tell our runners when you feel like you're hitting the wall, there is actually a physiological reason that this is happening. Embrace it, absorb the body blow right? and and stay in the moment, focus on the controllables. What can you control at that moment? Can you take in a goo at that point to give you a little sugar boost? Can you focus on your footsteps? Can you find a buddy around you to talk to and, and encourage? And again, so again, you're talking about contingency plans and that's what we talked about earlier, that having those contingency plans and even visualizing it, right? Seeing it go sideways um, and seeing themselves respond to it in a effective way is so powerful. Yeah. I absolutely. think the hard, you know, the hard thing about hitting a wall is that it's something that's hard to, it, it's hard to practice, you know? So, so many of these skills we're talking about, I'm saying, make sure you practice these things in your, in your training races. But I don't know that I'm not sure how often runners actually hit the wall in their training practice, you know, in their practice runs. Maybe they do, but probably not as often because most people don't run as far as a marathon when they're training. Or as hard. They're or as hard. As right. Hard. Exactly. Right. So, yeah, that, that is. But it, it, but it sounds like sort of knowing that in advance, that that is a possibility, that this is going to happen physiologically, that, like you said, then you can practice some of the contingencies, even if you're not actually hitting the wall in your training, but you can practice, all right, now I'm going to, you know, it's getting towards the end of my run. I'm getting fatigued. Well, let me now practice some of those strategies that I might practice if I happen to hit the wall on race day. Right. And again, I think, I think managing themselves well, you know, earlier in the race, in the, in the race, you know, not going out too fast or, you know, all the technical things that you work on with runners, that is not my forte, you know, but um, making sure that they're taking care of themselves in those ways hopefully is a protective measure. It's not perfect, but hopefully it's somewhat protective. Right. That's exactly what I was going to say. Hopefully they've done everything right. Yeah. That we've practiced in training and we've given them for their race execution plan that they don't hit that wall or they don't hit it as hard. But obviously you can do everything. You can do everything right and still have it happen. So. Sure. And yeah. it's not your fault. And you right. be hard on yourself. You should be doing everything you can to support yourself and, and be kind to yourself, which people tend to forget, you know, we all need to be our best cheerleaders. And uh, sometimes it's important to remember that even when you do hit a dark moment, you're doing everything you can, the most counterproductive thing you can do is to, to place blame on yourself at that moment. Right. And dark moments are, they're temporary, you know, it, it all passes. So I think that that's a very powerful message as well. Absolutely. Is there anything else you'd like to add before we close out our conversation? I can't think of anything that we didn't cover. Okay. Well, we are so grateful that you took the time to speak with us. We know that your nuggets of wisdom are going to be so helpful. And can you tell our listeners one more time how they can find you? Absolutely. Um, if you um, go online, you can find my webpage. It's getamentaledge.com. And um, you can contact me through the webpage. Um, you can email me that way. And my phone number is on there as well. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Jennifer Lager. You are terrific. And we are so grateful to have you as part of our circle of experts for Run Farther and Faster. So thank Absolutely. You. Absolutely. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, All right. Okay. Take care. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.